everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Big E here. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. We're talking about law. What do you need to know in the Commonwealth of Virginia as a law enforcement officer to help protect your community, to be a better law enforcement officer? And today, we're talking about probable cause. It's a pretty simple concept, uh, nothing fancy, right? But there were two cases in the last couple of weeks, one from the Virginia Court of Appeals and one from the Fourth Circuit regarding plain view of drug paraphernalia. And both of them came out very differently. And they both were really all about probable cause. And I think it's really interesting that here we are in 2022, in August of 2022, this is a word that's existed in the Constitution since the founding of the United States, since the Fourth Amendment was adopted. And we're still debating about what probable cause is. So I thought it would be really useful today to step back and look at this idea of probable cause through the lens of these two particular cases that were decided. And why did they come out differently? What is probable cause? And what does that mean for you as a law enforcement officer? So that's kind of today's episode. And I really want to emphasize, as whatever the results of these cases are, and whether you agree with them or disagree with them or think they're right or wrong or whatever, the one takeaway I want you to have from today's episode is I want you to think about as a law enforcement officer, could I decide or could I explain what probable cause is to a civilian, to my mom, to my sister, to a family member or a member of the public? If somebody asked me what's probable cause, could I define it? Because it's something that you act on every single day. It's a standard that you hold yourself to, that the magistrates and the courts hold you to all the time. And yet I think a lot of us can't really define it. And in fact, I will tell you that as a lawyer, when I talk to other lawyers, lawyers get this wrong all the time. Judges get this wrong all the time. Magistrates get this wrong all the time. Defense attorneys certainly get this wrong all the time. So what is probable cause? Uh, let's talk about these cases. And the first case I want to talk about is a case called Commonwealth versus White. This is a case from Virginia Beach. Uh, it's from August 16th of 2022. And it is yet another in a string of Commonwealth's appeals from circuit court uh, granting motions to suppress, Commonwealth appeals to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals denies the appeal and affirms the motion to suppress, affirms that the evidence is excluded from trial. Uh, Virginia Beach is having a bad run of it. They have appealed, this is now the third case that they've appealed to the Court of Appeals this summer, where there's judges have suppressed evidence, and the... Uh, court of Appeals has sustained that and said, yes, the court, the, your trial court was right to suppress this evidence. So what happens in Commonwealth versus White? Well, this is a case where police stopped the defendant's car after seeing it flee from a uh, shooting. And they stopped the vehicle. They ask, hey, what's going on? The people say, we heard the gunshots and we were running away. While the officer is talking to the people in the car, he shines his flashlight in the vehicle and he can see a brown cigarette that he believes contains marijuana just based on his training experience he looks at it and he says oh yeah that brown cigarette i you know that i think that's marijuana uh and the court the case doesn't explain it but i think what we're talking about is sort of like one of those hollowed out cigarettes he can't see marijuana but he's looking at it and he's like oh yeah i know what that is so he can't smell marijuana and he doesn't look at the cigarette he can't articulate anything specifically about the cigarette that he sees <clears throat> but he says to the driver and to the passenger, hey, I think that's marijuana. Uh, isn't that marijuana down there? And the passenger in the car says, 
I'll take the charge. So at that point, he gets them out of the car. And based on the fact that the passenger has now admitted there's marijuana in the car, he searches the car. Now, just so you understand, again, marijuana is legal right now, so this wouldn't be something that would happen now. This case took place in that little one-year period when marijuana was a civil offense in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So if you remember uh, back in 2021, the General Assembly wasn't ready to legalize marijuana, so they made simple possession a civil offense. Uh, it was a civil penalty of $25. So the officer, uh, based on the fact that there's marijuana in the car, he believes, uh, searches the car, he opens the glove compartment, and he finds a handgun. So the case goes to court. The trial court rules that the officer did not have the authority to search the car based on a civil offense, that marijuana wasn't a criminal offense anymore. It was only a civil offense, and therefore there was no authority to search the car. And that's the issue that the Commonwealth wants the court to take up. So when the court, Commonwealth appeals and takes the case to the Court of Appeals, this is the real issue they're taking before the, before the court and hoping the court will rule on. I mean, even though marijuana is legal now, we still have a lot of civil offenses, marijuana civil offenses, you know, possession under 21, um, possession of more than an ounce of marijuana, uh, you know, lots of different uh, possession inside of a vehicle, of an open container. These are all civil offenses. And so the Commonwealth wanted to get a ruling on, hey, is it, you know, can we search cars based on civil offenses? And unfortunately, the court of appeals did not rule on that. In this case, instead, what the court rules is, well, this just wasn't probable cause to search, right? Because if you have probable cause that there's a vehicle contains contraband, you can search that vehicle without a warrant. If that vehicle is readily mobile, right? That's the Carroll Doctrine. You don't need anything special. You don't need to be able to articulate that the vehicle uh, is an exigent circumstance or you can't secure it and get a, vehicle, uh, get a warrant, anything like that. The fact that the vehicle is readily mobile kind of makes it always an exigent circumstance. And therefore, if you have probable cause, you can search the vehicle. And that's the justification that the officer used in this case to search the car. But the court here says the smell of, mar excuse me, not the smell, of the, the sight of this cigarette, looking at this cigarette and just saying, oh, <clears throat> I know that's a marijuana cigarette. That's not probable cause. Why? Well, this case really goes back to a whole line of cases, including a case called Berman from the Virginia Supreme Court, that say that an officer's mere belief that a hand-rolled cigarette is contraband is not probable cause. So it take, it's important for us then to stop for a second and go back and look at this line of cases about, um, you know, hand-rolled cigarettes and drug paraphernalia that could be something uh, that's lawful to possess and so on. So Berman versus Commonwealth is a case where an officer sees a guy holding a hand-rolled cigarette and uh, he's actually got the hand-rolled cigarette in, the, in, his, in his interior door handle. He doesn't have it as in hand. It's sitting in the door handle. The officer looks at it and he says, oh yeah, that's marijuana. Why does he conclude that? Well, the officer says, well, that's nobody else has hand-rolled cigarettes other than the only reason you hand roll a cigarette is to put marijuana in it. You don't hand roll cigarettes for other reasons. It's not, you know, yeah, sure, there are people who have like an affectation who put their tobacco in a, in a hand rolled cigarette, but that's so rare as to be non existent. This is when somebody has a hand rolled cigarette, they have marijuana. 
And so the court says, well, no. Uh, in the eyes of the court, the court says it's a hand-rolled cigarette. I have to, you have to have some fact that indicates that this is marijuana and not something else. The, um, the court also had ruled in a case called Brown versus Commonwealth where an individual had, he was found asleep with a hand-rolled cigarette in his hand. The court says, well, no, that's suspicion that it's marijuana, but it's not probable cause that it's marijuana. Now, in Cost versus Commonwealth, this is a case where an officer is patting down somebody for weapons, and he has a reasonable suspicion to do so, but he touches capsules in the uh, defendant's pocket, and he seizes the capsules because he says, oh, you know, capsules are probably illegal drugs. And again, the court says, well, that's not probable cause. Uh, it might be suspicion, but unless it's immediately apparent that the item is contraband, then the officer cannot seize the item and he can't pull out the, uh, pull out the, the, the capsules in that case. So Berman is a Virginia Supreme Court case, Brown is a Virginia Supreme Court case, and those are both about hand-rolled cigarettes. And in both cases, the court says, simply observing a hand-rolled cigarette, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a specific fact. It doesn't say it's immediately apparent that this thing is uh, an illegal drug. It's, something, it's contraband that you can seize. So it kind of makes this question, well, you know, what is probable cause then? What does that mean? Um, that I have probable cause that something is contraband just, you know, just looking at it, right? Well, I think that requires us to step back and talk about what probable cause is, what this word actually means. And to do that, let's take a look at Illinois versus Gates. So Illinois versus Gates is a classic case. It's a case about informants. It's a case from 1982 from the Virginia Supreme Court, from the, from the U.S. Supreme Court. But the court here talks about probable cause. And they say, you know, probable cause is a common sense decision given the totality of the circumstances. And there's probable cause if, and this is the, I think the, the most complete definition that we really get regarding contraband. Probable cause is a fair probability. It's a fair probability that contraband or evidence of a crime will be found in a particular case or in a, me, found in a particular place. So, this idea of a fair probability is going to show up again and again. But one thing I want to emphasize before we go any further is how much evidence probable cause is. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It is a flexible common sense standard that requires some probability of criminal activity. So again, we're talking about probable cause existing when the facts and circumstances within the arresting officer's knowledge and of which he has reasonably trustworthy information are sufficient in themselves to warrant a man of reasonable caution in the belief that an offense has been committed or is being committed. And that's a definition from a case called Dare versus Commonwealth. <clears throat> so again, there's facts and circumstances within your knowledge, reasonably trustworthy information, and they are sufficient in and of themselves to warrant you <clears throat> in, in the belief that an offense is being committed or had been committed. But as I said, you know, lawyers get this wrong all the time. And one of the most common misunderstandings about what probable cause means is this belief that probable cause, that a fair probability, 
means that it's more likely than not that a crime has been committed or more likely than not that contraband is going to be found. And that's not what the standard is. I will tell you, I have seen judges believe this. I've seen defense attorneys argue for this. I've seen prosecutors incorrectly believe that that's the case. In fact, I think a lot of prosecutors, some places, majority of prosecutors, but at least some prosecutors will very uh, will will tell you, oh, probable cause means more likely than not. But it doesn't. That's not what it means. And this is clear from the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, there's a case called Texas versus Brown, and this is a 1983 case from the U.S. Supreme Court. That's it actually quotes um, Peyton versus New York, but it describes here again, and this is the Texas versus Brown case. Probable cause is a flexible, common sense standard, merely requiring that the facts available to the officer would warn a man of reasonable caution to believe that certain items may be contraband or stolen property or useful as evidence of a crime. It does not demand any showing that such a belief be correct or more likely true than false. And so it's interesting because in Texas versus Brown, right, Texas versus Brown's case is about uh, packaging narcotics and about packaging material for narcotics. And the court here says, well, an officer's testimony describing, you know, common packaging of narcotics, um, as well as the common sense and, and the common use of, in this case, balloons and packaging narcotics, gave the officer probable cause to believe that a balloon contained an illicit substance. But in this case that we're talking about from Virginia Beach, what did we have in addition to the officer's mere observation of the hand-rolled cigarette? Well, here the court complained all you had was this statement from the, from the passenger, I'll take the charge. And the court just didn't think that was enough to, to constitute probable cause, that this evidence was contraband. Now, I want to say something important about this case, and this is something that's true of the other two cases from Jim Beach as well. And that is, remember that this is an appeal, a Commonwealth's appeal. And so the court is going to defer to the trial court's ruling. In other words, the court is going to sort of at the beginning not presume that the trial court was correct because they're not supposed to do that. But the trial court is kind of, the defendant in this case, having won in the lower court, is already kind of ahead of the game. And so the court of appeals is going to be very reluctant to re reverse the trial court's ruling in this case. If the trial court had denied the motion to suppress, I think equally the Court of Appeals would have been reluctant to reverse the trial court and probably would, maybe in this case, probably would have found that the search was lawful. But because of what the trial court's ruling was, it kind of set the Commonwealth up to fail. And again, the reason the Commonwealth appealed in this case was really to get a ruling on this whole can you search a vehicle for a civil offense thing, which the Court of Appeals definitely didn't want to do. So does that mean that when you simply observe something that is paraphernalia like, you know, balloons or drug paraphernalia or whatever that you can't ever search based on it? Well, no. And in fact, there's a great case that had just come out the week before called U.S. versus Runner. And it's a really good contrast, I think, to uh, the Virginia Beach case that we just talked about, uh, the Commonwealth versus White case. So what happens in U.S. versus Runner? Well, in U.S. versus Runner, uh, the defendant uh, is uh, gets stopped 
for a on suspicion of shooting up in a car. The call comes in from somebody uh, who calls 911. Or excuse me, no, excuse me. Somebody, it's an anonymous tip. It's an anonymous tip that there's a woman shooting up, uh, injecting drugs in a blue Volkswagen with Ohio tags <clears throat> parked in a Walmart parking lot. And this case takes place in West Virginia. So an officer responds and he sees a woman getting out of a car. It's a blue Volkswagen with Ohio tags in a pretty empty Walmart parking lot. So the officer walks up, talks to the woman. She doesn't appear to have any signs of using drugs. She doesn't have any needle marks. She doesn't appear to be intoxicated. But another officer arrives. He looks in the defendant's car, and he sees a glass stem pipe in the center console of the vehicle. Now he looks at it, and he observes what he says is a frosted tint. Now this officer has a lot of special training. He's a DRE. He's a drug recognition expert which means that he's been through specialized training in recognizing the signs of somebody who's been using drugs, who's intoxicated with drugs. Um, this is a great training if you've ever been to it. It's, it's a, I definitely encourage you to check it out, especially with, a, with the rise in drug use and drug-impaired driving. Uh, the DRE program is crucial. If you, you really can't use regular standard field sobriety tests and expect to see the same results when somebody is using narcotics as you do when somebody's using alcohol. And the DRE program, uh, once you're a DRE, a drug recognition expert, you have some skills in being able to identify, oh, this person's intoxicated with narcotics. So this officer who has this specialized training looks at this pipe and he says, well, this has frosted tint on it, which in my training and experience indicates prior use. And so the court says, okay, so let's take a look at this and is this plain view? Well, you know, what's plain view? There's sort of three rule, the three uh, things about, or three standards you have to meet in a plain view case, right? One is you have to lawfully be in the place where you're standing when you're viewing the object. So in this case, the officer's outside the car, he's looking inside the car. So yeah, he's in a lawful place, he can lawfully be standing there. He's not, you know, violating privacy, the defendant's privacy by standing in that place. Two, does he have a lawful right of access to the object itself? And that's pretty important. Right, because remember with plain view, like for example, if I walk up to someone's house because I'm, um, you know, uh, doing a canvas involving a recent uh, burglary, and I walk up to a house and I knock on the door and I look inside the window, and there on the table I can see um, a bunch of cocaine on a mirror and a razor blade and a big bag of white powder that says, you know, Dave's cocaine on it, and you know purchased yesterday or something like that. So it's clear that it's cocaine, right? It's probable cause that it's cocaine that I see. But does that mean that I can go inside the house and seize it? Well, no, I don't have a lawful right of access to go inside that house. There's only three lawful ways inside a house, right? It's going to be consent, exigent circumstances, or a warrant of some kind. I don't have a consent. I don't have exigent circumstances, and I don't have a warrant of any kind. So I don't get to go in the, inside the house. Uh, but in, in, in this case, right, What's my right to go inside of the car? Uh, do I have any ability to go inside the car? Well, yeah, if I have probable cause, I don't need a warrant. Um, I can go inside the vehicle. So I do have lawful access uh, to the object itself. And then three, the object's incriminating character must be immediately apparent. And this is where we see the break with the, will, with the court in the white case from Virginia Beach with the hand-rolled cigarette. They said, well, that's not immediately apparent. 
the the fact that it's a hand rolled cigarette, I'm looking at it, and I'm just saying, oh, that cigarette, that's marijuana. Well, why? Uh, is it immediately apparent that that's marijuana? Well, in the eyes of the court, no. And remember, we had these two Virginia Supreme Court cases. We had uh, Brown versus Commonwealth, and we had Berman versus Commonwealth uh, from 2005 and 2008, where again the court said it's not immediately apparent just looking at it that the object is um, the object is is contraband, and so therefore the search or the seizure was unlawful. There's no odor of marijuana. There's no um, marijuana. Uh, like detritus, like, um, you know, shake or shavings or anything like that. Um, nothing to indicate that it's anything that, that it actually is marijuana and not tobacco or something else. So here, getting back to the Runnerwood case, which is the case from West Virginia, the court says, well, yeah, immediately apparent is the standard from Texas versus Brown. But remember, probable cause is not a very high standard. The court really focuses on what probable cause is. And this idea of immediately apparent doesn't mean that you have to have an unduly high degree of certainty as to the incriminating character of the evidence. The court here says, you know, probable cause is a pretty low standard, right? Do the facts warrant a reasonable officer in the belief that this item may be contraband or may be stolen property or maybe evidence? And so the court here looks at their own history of cases uh, not the Virginia court's cases, right? And remember, this is important because the Fourth Circuit isn't controlling in Virginia. It's sort of advisory, right? They can control cases in federal court. Virginia courts control cases in Virginia courts. Virginia courts like to look to cases from the Fourth Circuit, but they don't control us. Uh, but here, you know, the defendant makes the same argument that the, that the defendant did in the Virginia Beach case. He says, well, this is a pipe. It could be used for lots of things. It could be used for hemp. It could be used for CBD oil. It could be used for lots of different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be used for marijuana. But the court here says it's not just that it's the pipe. It's important to note that the officer had more than just looking at the pipe. The Fourth Circuit says very clearly, if all the officer had was, was he just saw the pipe, then that wouldn't be enough to seize the, the object. Because, again, just seeing drug paraphernalia, the court agrees, isn't sufficient to provide probable cause. But in this case, there was more than just the pipe itself. There was his drug recognition expertise and his ability to say, oh yeah, this had a frosted tint in, in, involving uh, that, that indicated prior use. And oh, by the way, remember the reason why they're there. They're there because they get this tip, this, it's an anonymous tip, but it's something, right? An anonymous tip that this woman is using drugs in a blue Volkswagen with Ohio tags. Now, the tip is that she's shooting up, uh, not that she's smoking, but that's still something, right? It's still here they get to the parking lot and she's in an empty parking lot. She's driving in a blue Volkswagen with Ohio tags. That tip plus the drug recognition expertise pushes us over into probable cause. And so the Fourth Circuit says, you know, hey, look at all these other cases that we've decided where we looked at the presence of drug paraphernalia, and we looked at that plus some other kind of evidence. <clears throat> so, um, for example, uh, in U.S. versus Jones, that's a 2012 case, there were precursors to the manufacture of methamphetamine and a strong odor of chemicals associated with methamphetamine, and a pipe. 
and a pill crushed into powder. All that together was probable cause. Um, U.S. versus Bullard, it was a pipe plus cocaine residue and paraphernalia and an odor of narcotics. Um, in Jackson, it's a plain view of a scale, sifter, plastic bags, numerous gelatin capsules, white powder, uh, isotol, all that stuff together. Why is all that stuff together? I mean, all those things individually certainly aren't probable cause, but all in together in the same group, now we're into probable cause territory, right? Uh, U.S. versus Turner's a 1991 case, drug paraphernalia and cocaine uh, together. Halverson is a pipe along with information from a local police officer that he had seen the defendant smoking and they smell marijuana. And that's a 1988 case. Um, so all these things together push us over into probable cause. And the court here finds that there was probable cause to seize the, the pipe. And then, of course, obviously, then to go on and search the rest of the car and find all the other evidence they found in this case. Uh, and in this case, they found a firearm and the defendant was a felon. So obviously, that's why we're here talking about this case. But the court emphasizes, you know, probable cause only requires a probability or a substantial chance of criminal activity, not an actual showing of the activity. And they quote Illinois versus Gates. So innocent behavior frequently will provide the basis for showing probable cause. And in Gates, the U.S. Supreme Court had really pushed against lower courts trying to set a, to set a more rigorous definition of probable cause um, or, or set a higher standard for, uh, for, what, for a definition of what probable cause really is. So, you know, what's the rule here? Well, I mentioned Texas versus Brown, and I think this is a great way for us to conclude today. What were the facts in Texas versus Brown? Uh, remember, I said this was a, a case from the U.S. Supreme Court from 1983. But it's a case where an officer is involved in a traffic stop. He stops a vehicle. He shines his flashlight into the car. And he sees a party balloon knotted near the tip fall from the driver's hand to the seat beside him. And based on his training and experience, he says, hey, narcotics are often packaged in such balloons. Now, right here... I think this is the real break that we are going to have, right? Because if all, if that's all the officer had and he went ahead and did the search, I think we'd be in that territory of Commonwealth versus White, where the, where the courts are going to say, that's not probable cause. That's looking at something and sort of saying, hey, in my training experience, I know that's often drugs. I'm going to go ahead and search based on that. Well, we don't see anything apparent. There's no specific facts that tell us this is drugs versus this is something else. Would it be reasonable suspicion? Okay, maybe it would be reasonable suspicion. We can debate about that. But today we're talking about probable cause. And so I think the Commonwealth versus White court would have suppressed the evidence in this case. But what the U.S. versus Runner court, the Fourth Circuit case from last week, emphasizes is let's look at the other facts. Let's look at what else the officer can observe. So in Texas versus Brown, he takes he makes this stop. He shines his flashlight. He sees the party balloon fall from the respondent's hand and then the officer says well I'm going to look a little bit closer here so while he's he moves the officer shifts his position to get a view while the driver is searching in the glove compartment for his license and looking into the car he can see many small plastic vials he can see loose white powder and he can see another open bag of party balloons in the glove compartment 
So the officer then asks the guy to get out of the car, and he uh, picks up the balloon. He looks at it, and apparently it appears to have some kind of white powdery substance. And then at that point, they conduct a search of the car. And the Texas Court of Appeals suppresses the evidence, and it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court at that point then uh, reverses the lower court and reinstates the charge and sends the case back for trial. They find that the search was lawful. And that's where we get this judgment of the court, this explanation of the court here, that again, probable cause is a flexible common sense standard, merely requiring that the facts available to the officer would warrant a man of reasonable caution to believe that certain items may be contraband or stolen property or useful as evidence of a crime. But the court emphasizes again, it doesn't demand a showing that such a belief be correct or, it, and also doesn't demand a showing that the belief be more likely true than false. The court categorically uh, rejects that. And the Court of Appeals and Virginia Supreme Court have repeatedly uh, reaffirmed that, that probable cause doesn't mean more likely uh, correct, true than false or more likely correct than false. Um, that is something you can find in you know, lots of cases throughout the, um, the, last, uh, the last year, the last few years, and so on. Um, you know, again, there's a good, good language from a case from the Fourth Circuit from July, a case called U.S. versus Orozco. They're talking about a search warrant in that case. Uh, but again, they say probable cause is like a reasonable, is reason to believe, right? It's a common sense standard. It doesn't require, in that case, the court wrote, um, Wiccan rituals or magic incantations of an officer's training and experience in order to demonstrate probable cause. Um, you just, it's a common sense standard. You look at the facts. So the takeaway, I think, for today is if you're looking at something that may be innocent, a hand-rolled cigarette, a glass uh, tube, and so on, you know, that in and of itself is not going to constitute probable cause. It's going to have to be something more. You're going to have to look at some other facts. But if you can combine that with other facts, the probable cause standard is not a high standard. It doesn't require it be more likely true than false. It doesn't require more than 50% kind of evidence. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so you want to think about how do I articulate, how do I look at the other facts, how do I collect other evidence to, to demonstrate that standard uh, in, in my investigations out in the field. So I hope today was interesting. I hope today was helpful. Um, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. You don't need an app. Uh, to listen on SoundCloud. It's a web browser thing. You can just go on the web and check it out. Uh, if you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. If you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. I'm always happy to hear them. I'm always interested to hear your ideas, and we've tried to do some before. But for today, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe, and don't get captured.